0: Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Does IP belong in Epcot? Is In the Big Blue World a formidable song for an attraction? All that and more in today's episode. Let's get started. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities.
1: And you can find magic in your everyday life.
0: If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way.
1: We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine.
0: So, Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today's episode number 229. We are continuing our storytelling series today. And today's attraction is The Seas with Nemo and Friends, which judging off our listener comments before we even got started, this is a very controversial attraction.
1: And to me, I never really expected that, honestly. Um, when we first mentioned this ride, I mean, I knew there was some history simply because I knew Nemo hadn't been there forever, but I, I didn't expect it to be polarizing. And I don't know why, because really everything in Epcot is kind of polarizing. You know, you have uh, the Epcot purists out there, I guess you could say. And then you have people like us who appreciate it a lot more now than we did previously. So it's always an interesting mix to see kind of how people feel about everything.
0: So, of course, if you're new to this series, the goal of these storytelling series are to take particular attractions and take a deeper look at them and their history and specifically their storytelling aspects to enhance your next ride on them. So maybe you catch something new next time. Maybe you get a different emotion or a deeper connection to it. I, I, we're up for a challenge with this one, I think, but it'll be interesting before we really get into the of this episode. Do you have anything you need to say to me, Catherine? I,
1: I don't think so. Do I?
0: What day does this episode come out?
1: <gasps> Happy birthday, Brendan. Thank you. It is Brendan's birthday. It is his golden birthday. So. Be sure to leave him a happy birthday in the comments.
0: You have to explain what a golden birthday is. You can't just leave it at that. I I didn't know what it was before this.
1: It is when you turn the age of your birth date. So Brendan is 28 on the 28th. It's a golden birthday.
0: Very exciting. This is also our last episode before Halloween. So happy Halloween to everyone out there as well. I don't know about you guys, but we are putting up our tree at 1201 on November 1st. I'm ready for Christmas. 2020 has been too bad to delay Christmas at all. Thanksgiving will have its time to shine for that week. But as for us in this house, we will be in Christmas mode.
1: Touche. I was going to say Thanksgiving doesn't even need a whole week. I mean, I'm happy to have the week off from school, but Thanksgiving just really needs a day.
0: So let's talk about the seas with Nemo and friends. We can talk about Christmas all day long. So to lay the foundation, we always like to talk about the foundational facts about this. So the C's opened on November 27th, 2006, but it wasn't officially dedicated to, And they waited to do it as an entire pavilion in January of 2007. And, of course, it's located in Future World of Epcot. It is four minutes long in its attraction, which is fairly long for an attraction compared to a lot of these others.
1: And it feels long. You know, It, it moves very slow. And I don't know if that has something to do with it. But I think, too, because you are there at the end going through The actual tanks of the aquarium, you know, that is a lot of ground to cover. So I can appreciate that it's long and I think everyone can appreciate that it's inside.
0: (laughs) So I think the polarization of this attraction really has a lot to do with its history. Mm -hmm. Also a little bit with its current day state and like what it represents and, and what it means. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. But I think we need to cover the history for a little bit. I'll be honest. I don't think my family visited the seas, the living seas very often at all growing up. So in 2007, you guys have already been able to do the math if you wanted to. I turned 28 in 2007. I would have been 15. So, you know, I'd been to Disney a little bit. But the only thing I can remember from the living seas is the what do they call them? The hydraulic. the the
1: hydrolator
0: hydrolators and they had the wall with the the, the, it was like a simulation of an elevator where you actually weren't moving they were forcing the wall outside of you to go up
1: very haunted mansion-esque it is which is interesting because i would have never related the two but it's the same kind of feeling where they want you to feel as if you're going underwater just like they want you to feel like the room is stretching. So that's a fun piece of Imagineering that they were trying to tell that story. You know, they wanted to put you into that space. Um, And I do think with the current version, you're missing some of that. I don't think that you get kind of that, you know, dramatic entrance into the seas.
0: We try to avoid to get into this. Was it better before? Was it, you know, is it worse or is it better? Because obviously our goal is to make your next ride on the attraction better and get a deeper appreciation for it. It's difficult to avoid those conversations a lot of time about what was better. Should they have changed it? The, say it again. Hydrolator. Hydrolator. I'm not going to be able to remember that. (laughs) The hydrolators were a really cool part of this that, they could have found a way to work this into Nemo.
1: I think, I mean, because I even think since the wall was moving, I mean, you could have probably put some sort of screen or something, you know, to make it, I don't know, appear that you were going down deeper into the ocean. I mean, even in Nemo, it shows those those different levels of the ocean, you know, where it gets really dark and kind of scary. I mean, I think they could have had a lot of fun with it.
0: So it's almost impossible to talk about the history of the Living Seas and now the history of the Seas with Nemo and Friends. Without talking about like the entire pavilion as a whole, because a lot of times it was all in sync together when it originally opened. And so the Living Seas as a pavilion was supposed to be an opening day pavilion for Epcot Center in 1982. And they had these really, really elaborate plans, some really cool dark rides planned for it. It looked like it was going to be the city where Jar Jar Binks is from. The Gungan village, but that didn't come to fruition. And because it was going to be such a gigantic task, they kept delaying it. They said they needed to do more research and more imagineering to get it ready. So it didn't open until 1986. So a full four years after Epcot opened, there's just this empty plot of land that the living seas of of where it was supposed to be sitting.
1: Yeah, I mean, the original concept art is fascinating. It was very futuristic, which... I mean, fits into future world, fits into Epcot, so it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out. But um, when it when we think about the dark ride, so I think that's particularly interesting as far as what Disney had originally planned for this area. They wanted pretty much a giant dark ride. Um, it would have been you know almost half the size of what's already there at the Seas, so it would have been just massive, and it was going to be hosted by Poseidon and he was going to be showing you around, you know, the seas and everything. And I mean, that seems so interesting because for Disney, other than Hercules, obviously, I mean, they don't really tie into Greek mythology or anything like that. So I kind of wonder where that originated or like how that idea got thrown out there and then why it stuck so well, because I mean, if they would have had the money, they would have done it.
0: Doesn't, Universal and the Lost Continent area have a Poseidon type thing as well. They do. So that would have been a conflict of interest.
1: I, I mean, would Disney have come first?
0: Yeah. I mean, this definitely would have been before Islands of Adventure.
1: Yeah. So maybe that just means that they had something good.
0: I mean, I think they were down the right track. I think it was maybe just one of those things that the idea was ahead of its time. Mm hmm. So when they finally got it all together and they decided that they were going to build the seas, the living seas, finally, they found their sponsor, which sponsors, when we talk about a lot of these historical attractions and pavilions and a lot of this stuff, especially in Epcot, sponsors were a way that Disney funded a lot of things so they didn't have to fund it themselves. So for this particular one, they worked with United technologies and it was massive. I mean, it wasn't to the scale of the original drawings. However, it was the largest saltwater tank in the world After once it opened. It's now been surpassed by the Georgia Aquarium, which opened in 2005. We've never been to that aquarium, but it seems really cool.
1: Are you sure? We, I know we've been to the Chattanooga Aquarium.
0: We have had this conversation so many times. We have never been to the Georgia Aquarium maybe you did it in an alternate reality, but not with me.
1: Huh? Okay. We've been in that area though, because that's the same area where the Coca-Cola world is. Correct. So I've seen it. Correct. Okay.
0: So there's a lot that, uh, there's a lot of time in between there and we're not going to spend too much time on it. Cause there's so many countless YouTube videos and articles that you can read about what ultimately led to the demise of the seas pavilion. But essentially what you have to know is United technologies pulled out, they lost their funding and it just kind of slowly dwindled away. Nemo released in 2003. They saw an opportunity and they took it.
1: And In that sense, you can't blame Disney for kind of making that decision because, I mean, it is a business move. If you have something that's working, you have to kind of follow the money, you have to follow what people like or the trends, you know, whatever it might be. And obviously without having that sponsorship, I mean, we've seen it so many times where these pavilions or these lands just cannot function without that money. And especially if you think about something like the world's largest saltwater aquarium, I mean, I'm sure there is so much that we can't even fathom that goes into that as far as just like maintenance and cleaning and vets and all the other amazing things that they do to make sure that those animals have the quality of life that they deserve. You know, I can imagine that that's very pricey.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and Disney was very serious from the very beginning that they were going to provide the highest quality care that they could for these sea creatures. So bef- while the pavilion was being built, I thought it was really interesting they actually had a lot of these live animals in a area down in the keys in the Florida Keys mm-hmm. where they were training them Ones that could be trained, things like dolphins and the rest of them. I don't know what they're doing, just <laughs> hanging out, getting familiar with each other. Like, hey, these are going to be your buddies for the rest your of your
1: roommates. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's like a, a an area where you're getting familiar with everybody, a, a happy hour. But that's funny. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, they were very serious about it. And it, it leads to the discussion of <laughs> I didn't realize this timeline This is the first intellectual property attraction to go into Epcot. I don't know why I thought the three Caballeros was first, but it came the same year, but in April. So April of 2007 is when it opened. You did have the Lion King fable story in the land pavilion, which is now RIP. Sad to see that. When's the last time you actually went to see it?
1: They don't play it anymore, do they?
0: No, but I'm saying.
1: Oh, oh, oh. oh.
0: How many years has it been since you went to see The Lion King Fable?
1: I don't know. But it's one of those things that I wish, like, I appreciated it while it was there. Because I would love to go back and just watch it. Because I think, I mean, it was pretty funny with Timon and Pumbaa. But, you know, I think this just opens up that Pandora's box of did they do the right thing?
0: I think ultimately the question that I think you have to answer before you can answer that is what is the goal of these pavilions and what is the goal of this attraction? Because we're trying to stay on this attraction. Again, it's very difficult with this one because the attraction and the pavilion are almost synonymous, especially when you think about the living seas back in the day, everything worked together. Mm-hmm. And so what was specifically changed over to the Nemo ride were the sea cabs so it's an Omnimover. It put you, you went down the Hydro... Hydrolator. Hydrolators. You got into an Omnimover, and it basically gave you a tour of the Seas Pavilion. So you saw different animals. Was there narration as well? I can't remember if there was narration.
1: I, I don't know if there was narration, honestly
0: but essentially they use pretty much the exact same track. I think they added like 280 feet of track for the Nemo attraction when they got it up and running. And at the very end of Nemo, that's where you can see basically what the sea cabs were when you're Mm -hmm. looking into the tank and what all was there. So the question is, what is the purpose of the seas pavilion? Is it entertainment? Is it edutainment? Is it just education? It's probably somewhere in the middle, but I think that's one of the first things that you have to figure out is is what are we trying to accomplish here?
1: Well when I think about that, I think you know for something like the Seas Pavilion, education is kind of what stands out to me at first, especially with like the original concept with you know having a base and kind of focusing everything around that and it was very much just the seas focused. I think as they pivoted to include, the Nemo and friends, I think that's where it takes a turn into edutainment. That's a hard one for me to say. And I think it's because, you know, they are trying to really like authentically engage these kids and make them interested. I mean, because honestly, when you were a kid and this is probably why we don't have the deep appreciation for it that so many people do, but it's because this is probably somewhere that we skipped very frequently. Because, you know, as a kid, it a big aquarium is maybe not the most exciting thing at Disney. It's just not. And I think when they started to catch on to how popular Nemo was, it's, it's a good hook. You know, everything needs a hook. You want You need that interest. You know, I think the sign and including the characters out front, the birds, you know, I think that lures you in and then you kind of get hooked. You know, you get to do the actual ride which is what we're focused on but then it does pull you into other things where you know you can really get a good education from the people who are working inside the pavilion itself i mean we've learned so much even just recently from talking to the cast members about the animals so i think you know maybe they're just using it as a hook and at at the core you know it's still supposed to be focused on Education. But I think that's the purpose. I mean, I think the purpose is that they have to draw you in.
0: I would agree. I mean, I think it's a hook. I think if you look at how time has passed. I think Nemo was a temporary fix to a larger issue that they had.
1: The larger issue being people weren't going.
0: Uh, Yeah, I just think that the C's do not get the foot traffic that they that it deserves. And when Nemo first opened up, I remember in 2007, I mean, it was a big deal Mm -hmm. for everybody to go see that attraction. I didn't realize at the time there was probably people out picketing in front about intellectual property entering into the pavilion. But you know, it was a it was a lengthy wait that you had to do. And you got very familiar with that queue, which I want to talk about in a minute. We will. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think nowadays, do you ever wait to go on Nemo? Almost never. It's almost always a walk on, mm-hmm. which is the purpose of an Omni mover. It's this now that leads into a different discussion about <laughs> fast pass and Omni movers. They're they're just simply not supposed to be together. Yeah but an Omnimover attraction that gets you into the door. It's an alternate entrance instead of going in through the gift shop. So if there's no wait, we will normally chose choose to go through Nemo rather than just entering in through the gift shop. But I think a lot of people say it's a 15 minute wait. Well, that's not worth it. And then they skip the pavilion entirely. And they miss seeing Lou the manatee, which is should be the icon of Epcot, honestly. <laughs> He's the coolest manatee on planet Earth. And a lot of people miss so much more of what's there, I think, because they are shielded by Nemo and Turtle Talk with Crush, which there's there's something off about him.
1: I could see. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I think it, it, there's a give and take there. I mean, with anything. So, I mean, are you saying that it wasn't a good move?
0: I'm saying that it maybe was a good move for the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the permanent answer for what needs to be done there because people love aquariums. You see that in the Chattanooga aquarium. You see that in the Georgia aquarium that gets, you know, millions of, I think millions, at least <laughs> thousands of visitors each year. People really like that and and that the Seas Pavilion has so much to offer. And I think sometimes it's a turnoff to have to endure in the big blue world before you get to see the characters. Is that controversial?
1: I mean, you particularly dislike that song, but to that what It makes me think of is, you know, they are supposed to update these pavilions again, and we're going to see more additions and new concepts, you know, with things like Moana and everything like that. I mean, do you think that's going to impact the Nemo? Like, do you think that's where they're trying to fix some of these things?
0: Potentially. I just think it made it palatable for children to go through. Mm hmm. For the short short term, I don't think Nemo is as big of a deal as Disney or Pixar thought it would be forever. Don't get me wrong; I think people still love Nemo. It, it was groundbreaking movie, but you don't see many Nemo plushies flying off the shelves. I don't think anymore. I think you see more Toy Story and more Monsters Inc. I think it's it's further down the list of, of really solid Pixar movies so I don't know I'm really torn on it because it made it more palatable for kids it, it got people in the door because you, just like you and I we had zero interest in C cabs yeah it was it was pretty boring to people under 10 years old which is what we would have been when when we were going at this point Nemo was cool in the short term, but again, it, it's, it seems like it's fizzled out.
1: Well, so let's talk about the story now and kind of how that evolves, because I do think that plays a role into how you can view this, you know, with, you know, maybe intellectual property side, some of these other flaws that we found, you know, let's just focus on the story now. So as far as, you know, setting it up is something that we always look at. Um, the progression, the actual story that is being told, and then just kind of the overall
0: thoughts. So I'll go ahead and start. I think this is one of the most underrated cues on all of Walt Disney World property.
1: I was surprised to see that in your notes.
0: I think that this cue is fantastic. It's it's quiet, it's calm, but it is preparing you for what you're about to experience pretty well. We can talk about the we'll talk about the experience itself in a second. But just from a standpoint, you walk in first, you're on a beach scene. And noteworthy, it is always approximately 55 degrees in this queue. <laughs> it is freezing in there. It is which frigid. Love, love to see that. You walk through the beach scene and then as you enter to the next room, you transition is the now you're underwater. You know that because you see the boat above you. You see the lights are playing with and the the music are playing with waves. And and it's kind of setting that immersion factor. That's pretty good. You don't get to truly appreciate as much. I can't believe I'm saying this because you don't wait in the queue nearly ever unless you're on a crazy busy day. And I would say most families probably skip it.
1: If there, yeah, if there was a way, you probably would skip it. I will say, I feel like you oftentimes miss a lot of those details too, because it is is very dark in that queue. And again, it makes sense because if you are underwater, it would be dark and it is setting kind of that serene feeling to me, this one. And there are so many comparisons that you can make between the Seas with Nemo and Friends and The Little Mermaid. In Magic Kingdom.
0: Well, they use the same ride vehicles. But
1: besides just that, I feel like even the queue itself is pretty similar because it's kind of taking you through a lot of those same scenes because in both places you are
0: going underwater. And in both, you're just getting a retelling of the movie. And that's kind of my next point. I think they missed something there. They should have done more than just retell the story of finding Nemo because almost everybody's familiar with it
1: Well into that I will say I don't even know if they're actually retelling the story itself because I feel like when I go through it they are obviously looking for Nemo but I don't even feel like they're still going through the act like the same. Motions Like you see a lot of the same scenes, like you have the jellyfish, um, you know, you have Mr. Ray in the school and everything, but at the same time, I almost just kind of feel like you're wandering around and you're just listening to them going Nemo, Nemo, Nemo. And I just, you know, this story is definitely lacking in that aspect.
0: I, well, I, I think it is just a retelling. I mean, cause it starts with Mr. Ray's school I I don't know. I think you might be missing some things. Maybe you're falling asleep during the middle (laughs) of it because it's so cold, and you're refreshed, and and you're dozing off a little bit. But I think it pretty much follows a lot of the major scenes of the movie, including the what's the current called? Oh, the EOC. Yeah, you go through the EOC, and then you encounter Bruce and his two friends that I can't remember their names. That's one of my biggest points. We don't normally try to talk too much about technology here because I think technology is a tool to help storytelling, but it's not, it's not always necessary. Mm -hmm. Splash mountain doesn't have great technology, but it tells a pretty good story. Now the story itself is not great. (laughs) The source material is not great, but the process of how the story is being told is pretty cool. For here, I think, why is Bruce on a screen? Why would you not make him into an animatronic is kind of beyond me. Bruce is one of the most Bruce and crush are probably the two most beloved characters in all of this. I mean, crush has his own attraction in Paris. He has his own roller coaster. People love crush. He's on a screen and you get Bruce on a scene and the other guy with the hook in his nose. It's not an animatronic. He's just a, a stationary. I guess he juts out at you a little bit, but yeah. I don't know. To me, that's where you miss some opportunities. Like if you want to compare it to the little mermaid. Ursula makes that ride 10 times better. Just mm-hmm. waiting to see her <laughs> is, is worth a lot of the buildup of what you're doing from a story standpoint on that attraction for this one. What are you really waiting for? The EOC is really underwhelming <laughs> for what it does. And the so the other thing that I could think that would be really cool would be to see Bruce chasing Nemo in real life. I mean, I, to me, it just seems like a missed opportunity. Do you? Can you think of anything else that would enhance it?
1: I mean, definitely some better animatronics, I think, would make a world of difference. You know, to me, this is one of those rides where they're definitely forcing your perspective. You know, they only want you to see certain things. And that's very apparent in the way that um, the clammobiles, that's what they're called, the way that they move. And, you know, I think there are definitely areas where if you wanted it to be more Immersive. If you wanted to feel like you were underwater, you know, there would be more, you know, like 360 type degree views of things instead of you're just looking at one wall where you're going through a series of projections. You know, I think that's maybe my biggest complaint with the way that they did this. And again, you know, stories and technology don't necessarily have to go hand in hand, but I think they can enhance what you're seeing, you know, that can add to the immersion because for me, okay, maybe the queue is really cool. And maybe the queue is setting you up to go underwater, which is what they want you to experience. But then everything falls flat, you know, everything else, you don't get that same kind of feeling, you know, the buildup or maybe the anticipation as you go through the queue doesn't nas- necessarily match what you're getting. So like for me, I don't like the EOC scene at all. Because it gives me a headache with all the bubbles and it's very stroby, you know.
0: Well it's not it's not fluid at all. Yeah. It's very jumpy. You can tell. I mean the, the technology is it's just past what they're able to do with that in two thousand seven. So but the very end of this attraction. I think it's probably the most polarizing of all things about this attraction. So they leave the windows from the sea cabs and you get to see into the tanks. We saw dolphins just last time we wrote it. Really cool experience. Mm-hmm. But they put the projections on the screen. How do you feel about the projections of the characters?
1: I can appreciate that from a storytelling aspect they are trying to keep like the fluidity of okay here's nemo we found him hooray like we're celebrating like because that's what it is like this is the grand finale you know you've reached the end they're singing the song and i understand kind of why they did it that way i do think it almost cheapens the ride more so because it's more projections and then you are taking away from what's behind it and you can see some amazing animals so like you mentioned dolphins you can see sharks stingrays sea turtles sea turtles yes i mean there are so many like real animals so i feel like if disney was trying to take that edutainment part of it and kind of mix okay nemo might be the hook but hey look like these are the real animals that you can learn about here they are this is where we're going to drop you off like go explore you know it's it's taking that away from it
0: i feel like i agree It, it just seems really cheap to me and it's really a shame and and it kind of also goes with the song which we mentioned before which you mentioned i mentioned in the big blue world is not even from finding Nemo, which is the weirdest thing for me. It's from the musical that, that do it animal kingdom, which we love. I love that musical.
1: And again, it is kind of underrated. The musical. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. know a lot of people who skip it just because maybe they're not very interested in the finding Nemo or maybe they don't like the music. I don't know, whatever it is, but that's well done. <laughs>
0: It is a fantastic production. And like you said, a lot of people skip it and, and don't go to it because it is really long. Mm-hmm. That's probably the, the major issue with it. But again, that's like 55 degrees in there, too. You can see your breath in there, I think, <laughs> whenever you go. But think about it from someone's standpoint who's never been to Disney's Animal Kingdom or who has never seen that show. Where did In the Big Blue World come from? I think that's where it gets confusing about you're you're retelling the story of Finding Nemo, and then you play a song from a musical at a different park. Now you deal with a little bit there of Finding Nemo doesn't have very much music to pull from. They have any? I'm not. Besides,
1: just like instrumental.
0: I believe it's all just instrumentals and scores. So I think that's the issue that you deal with, but. I almost wish we've been bashing it a little bit. I do still enjoy this ride. Honestly, I still like going on it because it's calming. It it's a great way to enter into the pavilion and get to some of our favorite areas that we get to, I mean, we have fallen in love with the seas mm-hmm. since moving down here. We go there every single time that we go to Epcot. Now we go see Lou, we go see the stingrays. And even that the magic of Disney's animal kingdom show on Disney plus that we've loved so much, they deal with a lot of the animals at the seas as well. Cause it's the same veterinary team that, that cares for those animals. So we've been a little harsh on it probably, but There was so much potential there, I think. And I almost wish there was a way that it almost could have been a half and half that you still got the C-cab experience to see into these tanks and to see these animals. Or I almost wish they went all the way in on education and you say, here's Mr. Ray. He is a stingray. (laughs) Here is a real life stingray and what these look like. Here is Nemo. He's a clownfish. Here's what a real life clownfish looks like. And I realize that's a little bit difficult with the gigantic tank that they have. But almost what if it was a game where you're trying to spot the animals and say, there's Crush and I'm matching him to this giant, giant green sea turtle. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But to me, it it kind of loses what the purpose of how I view the seas.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And then, you know, just from the story aspect, I mean, it's just lacking in most of the stories and the rides that we really enjoy now. It's usually because it is something that's new. You know, it's a continuation of the story they're, you know, on a new adventure. They're, you know, they're bringing in new things or new situations. And, you know, this one falls flat of that, unfortunately. So, you know, from, you know, the Seas Pavilion, you know, we have that opinion, but then also just from the storytelling and the immersion factor, you know, it's something to consider when you go look at this, you know, you can look for those little things. Like you mentioned, Brendan for how you can really feel like, okay, we are entering in the sea. We are going underwater. Um, but it's also so easy to miss, you know, it's not as in your face as, you know, maybe if they were really trying to go for it all the way, which they kind of were, I mean, they completely did the whole pavilion with Nemo, so I feel like if you're going to go all in, you have to go all in.
0: And they didn't. Mm-mm. So let's get to our listener scores. Then we'll give our scores as well. If you want to participate and hear your score read on the show, you can join our Facebook community, Detorted Neverland podcast community. It's down in the show notes below link over there. Join. We ask every week for everyone to submit their scores We've been lacking a little bit. We've been asking like same day that we're recording. So we'll do better on that. Also, if you're on YouTube, put your score down below as well. I'll put a link to our scorecard that you can fill out the PDF that we use. So let's get some of our listener scores and then we'll give ours.
1: Yes. So the first one came from our friend Erica and she said we were expecting something more like the Nemo submarines in Disneyland. And we didn't even talk about those. Honestly, that's one when we went to Disneyland, we didn't have the opportunity to do it. But from what we understand, there are some similarities, but that's what she was expecting. Um, It was our first ride of the day in Epcot and all of their kids ages zero to seven. So seven kids total really liked it. So, again, maybe that's what Disney was going for.
0: And she gave it a six out of 10, ranking it highly in immersion and rewritability. Mm -hmm. Next one is from our friend Sarah. Sarah gave it a 5.25. It's definitely not a bad ride by any means. Just when I rate it, it ends up kind of low, especially when you think about some of the other great rides at Disney. And I think that's a challenge that we face every week of... You know, you got to stick to the scorecard. You can like the attraction, but just based on the scorecard, it it sometimes doesn't end up and match your opinion exactly.
1: Which is funny how that happens, like when you really put like a critical eye to it or when you match it up. That happens to me all the time. That happened with this one, too. Spoiler alert. Um, And then Ryan said it's much more memorable than the Living Seas ride was.
0: Which I think is a really interesting discussion. We like we said, we try not to do the this or that game too much, but I know Ryan loves Epcot. Mm -hmm. And for him to say that, I think is pretty powerful. It is. Yeah. So our friend Sean said, I truly miss the living seas, the screens and projections just seem out of place. (laughs) 1.75.
1: Low
0: score from Sean.
1: That's gotta be the lowest score I think we've ever seen. Well, I feel like other people have given things like a zero before.
0: Uh, Mickey's fun wheel or the Pixar pal around definitely got a lower score.
1: Okay. Yeah. That probably got like a point two five from us. So then Katie said that she's giving it around a two. It's been a while since I've been on it, but I don't really understand what makes it special. I felt the same way about the submarine ride in Disneyland. Turtle talk with crush is hilarious. And the animal kingdom finding Nemo musical is my favorite. We definitely don't need another Nemo attraction, especially one that takes up so much space.
0: Which, again, that's an interesting proposition. Is there too much Nemo in the parks?
1: You know, I actually never thought of that until Katie mentioned it. But it is pretty unique for Disney to latch on to something so much and to put it in so many different spaces. You know, I mean, we obviously see that a lot where they're going to take something from Disney World and incorporate it into, into Disneyland and vice versa. But then to also include it in Animal Kingdom. The way that they have. I don't know if they just had space that they didn't know what to do with. I mean, I we didn't look at this beforehand, but was Finding Nemo that popular? I mean, did it just rock?
0: Yeah. It killed. Did it? Yeah. Okay. I don't know the exact numbers, but it, it was a major box office hit.
1: So, I mean, I guess that has something to do with it. We've seen. I mean, obviously, Disney does that with anything that's a big hit. Frozen, you know, quickly got its own attraction and different things like that. So, I mean, they follow the money.
0: I yeah, I mean, to think that I know it's a much newer movie, so it's almost it's a different conversation. But Nemo has more attractions than Frozen, which Mm -hmm. is hard to believe. I don't think that'll be true in 15 years.
1: But do they, though? They have it. They have a show in Disneyland and Disney World or in um, Hollywood Studios and they have their own attraction and they're getting their own land. Correct.
0: And not here. Well, yeah, not here, but in an
1: international park.
0: Yeah. So at, at the least they're even right now. OK. I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I just had
0: to. I don't know if to Nemo it. has stuck multi-generational as much as they thought it would Mm -hmm. it's not like toy story and part of that is because toy story has four movies or three movies in your mind yeah just three only three you have founding nemo and you have finding dory i think finding dory did not do nearly as well as they wanted it to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so i don't know it's just interesting to see how things Have latched on. Last one is from our friend Jill. Jill says, completely different answers depending on if there's kids or not. If it's an adult trip, it gets maybe a two. But if it's a family trip, it gets a five plus. My kids love these movies. So I feel very different about riding it while watching my kids love it so much. I think that's interesting. I think uh, our niece will probably really enjoy this ride soon. She is being Dory for Halloween.
1: That's what I was going to say.
0: So that's a big plus for this ride if Uh she gets to see dory i realize now that i said that crush and bruce were the two coolest characters outside of nemo dory's pretty cool
1: yeah you can't you can't forget about dory
0: but um yeah i think that's interesting that it's one of those where you enjoy seeing other people enjoy it And that's always a cool aspect of a lot of these attractions as well. So the answer is if you're not enjoying it, find a random kid and take it on, (laughs) take you with them.
1: Try it out. Yeah. Try it with a kid.
0: All right, Catherine, what is your score?
1: Okay. So my score, this is probably one of the lowest ones that I've ever done. Um, I think that's fair to say I gave this one a 375 And mine is actually lower than Brendan's, which never really happens. I feel like I'm like the Simon out of the two of us. Would you consider yourself to be a Randy or a Paula? I'm a Randy.
0: (laughs) It's a no from me, dog. (laughs) Uh, I gave it a 4.75, which I don't know. I was maybe generous in a couple of areas. Like I said, I really do like this attraction. I, I enjoy my time when I'm on it. But strictly through a storytelling lens, it it's missing something, or missing a lot of things. Honestly,
1: and and that's honestly where I docked it a lot. You know, of course, I docked it for um, like fast pass worthy and things like that. I think there are so many better things. Even if you fast pass living with the land, I would put that above
0: this. Wow, you've come what? a long way on living with the land.
1: I it's entertaining. I have come a long way, but I mean, I just think from like the immersion factor, I honestly rated it really low there where you rated it higher than I did because of that initial cue. I don't know. I think that's what it was a lot for me. I think the rubric, like a few people said, it definitely causes me to be a little more critical.
0: So here's our question to you at home. What are your favorite storytelling aspects of the Seas with Nemo and Friends? Are there things that we miss that would enhance our next ride or enhance the rest of the community's ride on this? If you're on YouTube, drop it in the comments below. If not, send it to us and we will share it on social media because that's the biggest thing. We want to find those little details or things that we're misinterpreting that will help us enjoy it more, which is an interesting thing to say because I'm never mad when I get off this ride. I mean I'm not mad when I get off any Disney ride, but I'm I I'm not dissatisfied as much as maybe our conversation leads us to believe today.
1: That's true. I mean I think that's fair. And I think there are little things about this ride that are very cool. Um like for example, I don't know if we mentioned this, but one of the highlights to me of this ride is the um the animatronic with the the fish with the light on his head,
0: like a I, I always call him like a dangler fish, but I don't know if that's true.
1: Yeah, I don't know it, but it's really cool because if you kind of watch the way that it works, you know it's on an arm, so the way that he can kind of swim and follow, um, Marlin.
0: Marlin, yeah, that's his. Name. I almost
1: said Merlin. Is <laughs> <laughs> is pretty cool, and you know, I think just ending the way that you do in the Seas Pavilion. I think that's what makes it for us.
0: Fun fact about Marlon is anybody's been to Disney's California Adventure and you get to go into the Beast library and do the character matching game. It said I was Marlin, which what a shot to the gut.
1: That's a good one. He's lovable.
0: It means I'm like nervous and anxious.
1: And overprotective.
0: (laughs) Who did you kind of like a
1: stage you're a stage five clinger.
0: Oh, is that true? Uh Uh-huh.
1: I don't remember. What was I? Mine was pretty unimpressive, too.
0: I feel like it was someone that you don't particularly like.
1: It must have been. I think that's why I pushed it out of my mind.
0: Well, hopefully if it opens up again, we'll go retest it. Maybe our personalities have changed over time and we'll be able to get better characters. Maybe. In an ideal world, who is your character?
1: Way to put me on the spot. Elsa?
0: Oh, my. You always say Elsa.
1: I want to be Elsa. When I grow up, Mm. I'll be a queen.
0: I want to be Winnie the Pooh.
1: (laughs) You're halfway there.
0: Are you saying I'm fat? (laughs) (laughs) Seems like you said, what does that mean, Catherine? Please explain yourself on how I'm halfway to Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. No. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. We are quickly getting off the rails. So I hope you enjoyed our chat today. Like we said, if you have more thoughts on, the seas with Nemo and friends. Let us know. We'd love to hear them. We'll be back next Monday to have another one little spark episode. If you're not already, we'd really love if you come join us on YouTube. It just adds an extra element to the show where we can show up graphics and things that we're talking about. You also get to see our funny uh, facial expressions at each other. Catherine just lost it because she called me fat on there, And so I did not. if you don't want to miss that, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube if not we love being coming through your headphones as well so thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next monday
1: thank you for listening to detour to neverland make sure you subscribe and leave us an itunes review if you enjoyed the show
0: between episodes you can find us on instagram at detour to neverland or visit detour to
1: we appreciate you letting us be part of your day
0: see you real soon